0: What's up, sports fans? It's time for Let Me Speak. I'm Joe Braverman, and on this show, we discuss the big news in the world of sports, as heard from me, myself, and I. Here's what we'll be talking about this week. Which teams in the NBA should be monitored as the playoff chase heats up? Plus, as the MLB begins spring training, the storylines to monitor throughout the spring. And, is it time to outlaw court and field storming in college sports? you're listening to episode 105 of Let Me Speak. Let's get things started. Fire up that intro. on Tuesday, February 27, 2024, for the 105th edition of Let Me Speak. I thank you, everyone, for tuning in wherever you are getting this podcast. For those that have been following along, we didn't have a show last week, as you might have heard from our last episode that we released two weeks ago. It was a little bit under the weather, coming down with the cold a little bit, but we're powering through. We're still a little bit on the uh, last stages of it. You know, it's just that little tiny thing where you still have a a little cough, a little bit of the sniffles now and again, but we are all good and we're feeling ready to bring you a brand new episode. And we've got a lot planned for you for this episode, aside from our Let's Get Local and our LOL moments that we normally do. We got to look at baseball. We got to look at the big story with college sports, but we are going to start this show by looking at the NBA because this is where the Focus on the NBA really is magnified. You know, post-Super Bowl, we're in a little bit of that lull. You know, baseball is just getting its feet under them. You know, you had pitchers and catchers reporting. But it's really been the NBA that's been taking center stage for the past two weeks or so now that the NFL is in its offseason. And I am ready for this chase for the championship. I'm ready for it to ramp up, especially considering the dud of an all-star weekend that we saw in Indiana. I mean, I could go on and on. I could have a whole episode dedicated to what I thought about all-star weekend, which to me was a little bit a not very good. Um, I want to get into now the regular season because it's technically the second half, even though it's past the halfway point when it's that all-star break, it's still very confusing to me, but I think we have to really start looking at the playoff situation. Cause that's where Really, everyone makes their money. And I think there are a lot of things to watch for as we get into the last couple stages of the playoffs because I think we're about a month and a half away from the season coming to an end and the playoffs getting underway. So um I think the there are a couple of things that I really want to watch for during this last uh, stretch of games. I think the big thing for me is in the East, who is going to challenge the Boston Celtics? Because I think everyone agrees, or from what I've read with most uh, people when they're talking about the NBA, there's no doubt that the Celtics, at least in the Eastern Conference, are levels above everyone else. I mean, I'm looking at their standings right now, and they're up seven and a half on Cleveland for the uh, first spot. I mean, they've won eight straight. They've just been absolutely on a roll, and we'll dive more into the Celtics later on, but I'm curious about... Who behind them is really going to be that big challenger you know is it going to be a situation where the Celtics are just going to steamroll over everyone or are there actual challenges out there because I mean when you look at the second spot with Cleveland and then you go to the eighth spot right now with the Orlando Magic that's a total of six games in between those uh, spots so there is some shuffling that can happen but um it's the one team that I'm really trying to find as who can be the biggest challengers to Boston. And, you know, I I don't really, I'm just going to preface this by saying that I don't believe in any of these teams to make really a a deep title run, you know, regarding Cleveland, Milwaukee, New York, Philly, Miami, Indiana, and Orlando uh, as those teams. But out of those teams, I think the best chance to give the Celtics a test would be the bucks because really they have all the pieces they they just haven't been able to put it together and i've been critical of them for the past couple of weeks because they they brought in doc rivers midseason which i hate the move like i i like doc rivers as a coach but i wouldn't have fired adrian griffin at that time and bring in doc rivers you know uh a couple of game a couple of weeks before you get that all-star break, and now you really have to secure some things. I don't know if that's enough time for them to really turn things around. But if Doc Rivers can get these guys to play some defense, then they can be a challenge. I mean, obviously, Chris Middleton just continues to get hit with the injury bug. He hasn't been playing in forever. But you have one of the more lethal combinations with Dame Lillard, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Giannis has been able to take that step back and Damian Lillard's been trying to insert himself more aggressively on the offensive side of the ball. But I just don't see the depth that Milwaukee has compared to Boston. I mean, Boston has a bunch of depth, but like I can't put Brooke Lopez in the same spot as Chris Dots Porzingis. I can't put Bobby Portis in the same spot as Al Horford. Um, they they just don't have enough. I think, for me to to really challenge uh, the Celtics. But they are the team that has the best shot of making that happen. Because really, when I look at the rest of the conference, I mean, the Knicks aren't at full health yet. Plus, they're sitting in fourth right now. The Cavs and the Pacers, at least to me, need a few more meaningful wins uh, against some top teams. And then the Sixers don't really, I think, have enough to cover for Joel Embiid. Tyrese Maxey is not the guy to lead a team just yet. Still a little bit early for him but he's not that number one guy that can clearly take over and the Sixers just don't have the pieces as well to cover for them now what is interesting which is another story I want to fall into is about the Sixers I mean they are sitting in fifth place right now and they only have a game up on Indiana who's in the seventh spot and that seventh spot is the first play-in spot now this could be a little bit risky because it's similar to what everyone was saying about the Brooklyn Nets uh, a couple of years ago when they felt when they um they had a bunch uh they, they couldn't get their big three to play. And then they eventually uh traded James Harden out. Um and Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, those those Nets fell into the playing spot. Everyone was saying, oh, that can be an upset and the Celtics can lose. Well, the Nets got swept. And while there was some challenge from them, they weren't any match for that Celtics team. Um, In terms of this Sixers team, I think it's a little bit different because of Joel Embiid. I I really do think so, because Joel Embiid is much more dominant than Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were at that time. And um, just Embiid's presence alone should be that much of a factor. So I think for Philly, that's an advantage to them if they fall into the play-in. Not saying they should be targeting going for the play-in, but it wouldn't be the worst thing in the world if they fall into that play-in spot because then you get a tough matchup with either the Celtics or whoever falls into that two spot, whether it be Cleveland, Milwaukee, New York, whoever it may be. So if Philly falls into that spot, they win, they get out of the play-in, And they give a very early test to either of the top two teams in the Eastern conference. And I think that is a big challenge. Um, I'm not going to say like they will absolutely, you know, I'm not going to go out and say that if Philly gets into the play-in and they get out of that play-in, they're definitely going to upset whoever that is. I'm just saying it's going to be more of a test than it was the Brooklyn side of things back in 2022. So, Don't sleep on Philly when Joel Embiid returns. I think Embiid does have to return before the playoffs gets underway to get his legs under him, you know, maybe under some kind of minutes restriction that Nick Nurse might give him. And then when you get to the playoffs, you just go ahead and let him unleash. Because I'm sorry, there are not many out there that can stop Joel Embiid when he's uh, at his maximum potential. Um, I know he's had a bad playoff history, but... Still, I would bet good money that Embiid would show up uh, in the playoffs and make things really tough for the rest of the East when it comes down to having to face them and get their run to the championship. So that's really in the Eastern Conference what I'm looking at is where are the Sixers going to fall and who's going to be the team that steps up and challenges the Celtics right now. I mean, I still would put the Celtics ahead of everyone else to get to the NBA finals out of the East, but I at least want someone to see, I want to see if there's going to be anyone out there who's going to, you know, face them head on and just say, we're not scared of you. We're going to take it to you and we're things are not going to be as easy as you think they are. So that's in the East, the Western conference though, I think has a lot more questions then it has answers. I mean, you look at how tight things are with the West on this day, on this uh, February 27th, it's 10 and a half games separating the first playoff team, which is Minnesota, and the last playoff team in Golden State in that 10th spot. I mean, 10 and a half, things can change on a dime. But I think obviously the big story is those top four right now with Minnesota, OKC tied with that for in the first spot. Then you've got Denver at three, a game and a half back, and the Clippers that are two and a half back. Now, I think out of those four teams, the one I have most confidence in would probably be Denver just because of their experience. They have, I think, the most unstoppable player in Nikola Jokic in the entire league. Um, Plus, they just went on a championship run a year ago. That would put them over the top for me because I look at the Timberwolves, you know, they're they're well constructed, but they haven't had that big playoff experience quite yet with, with this group. When you have Towns and Gobert, Anthony Edwards, uh, so on and so on. Oklahoma City is a very, very young team. They have so much inexperience when it comes to these big moments. I think Shea Gales Alexander is a player that's ready for that big moment. But I think everyone else, you know, Chet Holmgren, uh, Josh Giddy all these other guys, Jalen Williams, I don't think they're ready for that. And then on the Clippers' side of things, their roster is mostly comprised of guys that don't show up in the playoffs. Really, the only guy that they have is Kawhi Leonard. Why? Because he has a couple of rings on his finger. James Harden always disappears in the playoffs. Paul George always disappears in the playoffs. And while I do like their depth, I don't, when it comes down to guys who need to step up. I mean, I'll even, I'll I'll throw Russell Westbrook in there, I guess. I mean, I I hate to do that, but he hasn't really gone that far in the playoffs uh, in in quite some time. So that's why Denver, to me, puts it over the edge. They have experience. They have a great roster, pretty much returning everyone, almost everyone from last year's championship run. Um, I will say, though, they need to avoid getting out of fourth place. Cause I think out of those four, whoever goes in fourth is going to be in real danger. Um, Maybe not, you know, up. They're not going to automatically lose, but if you see the Phoenix suns right there in that fifth spot, I know right now they're tied with the Pelicans, but I would just say, whoever has to play the Phoenix suns, you got to watch out because this is a team that I talked about two weeks ago in our latest episode, they made great improvements at the deadline. They've got a lot of depth. They just can't get that starting unit to play with each other on a consistent role. You don't have Durant, Booker, and Beal all playing at the same time in this regular season. When you get them together, I think they can be a really good team. And I was able to watch Sunday when they beat the Lakers. I really like Yusuf Nurkic at that center spot. I think he's a very underrated player, and he can do some really good things uh, for Phoenix. Um, And they upgraded their experience, they upgraded their depth. So I think whoever in that top spot or in any of those top four spots, whoever has to play Phoenix, I got to say, be careful because they can really take it to the limit. So it's really that top part of the conference that I'm watching. I'm also watching that bottom part of the conference. I mean, the story has to be, feels like the story is always about the Lakers and the Warriors right now sitting at the ninth, And the 10th spot, I mean, really looking at it right now, they've got about three, three and a half games up on Utah right now. I don't think the Lakers or the Warriors are in any danger of uh, missing the playoffs unless they go on a really, really bad slide. But it's funny with um, you had the Lakers last year come from the play and then they got all the way to the conference finals and, you know, there are some, I think Kendrick Perkins uh, specifically is saying, watch out for the Lakers because they can make a run. You know, I don't honestly have that much faith that the Lakers can, because I said it, like they didn't do anything at the deadline. So I don't really expect them to make that same run that they did a year ago uh, this year. The Golden State, though, is, is an interesting one, though. I think they can make an impact because of the line of change that Steve Kerr decided to make. I think deciding to put Brandon uh, Podchemski, I think that's how you say his name, putting him in, and putting Clay Thompson on the bench might have solved the problem. You know, when you have him, when you have Thompson with some fresh legs, I mean, those past couple of games off the bench, he's been absolutely lethal. It's like he's got his groove back. Um, and then you have a guy like Jonathan Kaminga, who was able to take advantage of the absence of Draymond Green. Now you have him uh, in a confident spot uh, in that lineup. And of course you have the greatest shooter of all time in Stephen Curry, who um he might be slowing down. It definitely doesn't look like it at least for this year, but he will eventually be slowing down. Um, I think Golden State can make some noise. I think they can get out of the play-in from that 10 spot. I don't know if you would, I would put them, you know, up with Minnesota or with Oklahoma City, Um, I I don't know if I can do that yet, but I think the Warriors can at least, you know, rattle some cages a little bit, maybe uh, get the odds makers uh, turning one way Um, just because not only you have experience, but this all of a sudden this burst that they've had. I mean, Steve Kerr, when you have a lineup with all time greats like a Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, that core, it's really difficult to shake it up and start to plan. For that future, But Kerr has done a great job of balancing it by deciding to move Thompson to the bench, put the young guys in there, and provide some new life. And you'll be getting more experience with Chris Paul, who I will say is a playoff choker, but it's better to have him in that lineup and in that rotation, at least if you're trying to make some kind of playoff run. So that's really where I am with the Western Conference is watch out for Phoenix. Golden State can make some noise and Denver right now would probably be my favorite coming out of the Western conference, just because it's so jumbled right now. But the the beauty is that the playoffs don't start until mid April. And there's so much that can change uh, throughout the NBA. Um, So that's our segment on the NBA, but we are going to dive into the MLB up next because spring training is underway and we got to look at the storylines and the teams What do we have to watch for before the regular season gets underway? We will discuss coming up next. So as I said, it's late February, which means spring training in the MLB is getting underway. And I tell you, all of us would love to be in Florida or Arizona right now watching some spring training or just being there in general because let's be honest I'll say this for me personally as well I'm done with winter I'm done with the cold weather done with the freezing temperatures I'm ready for sunshine ready for baseball to get started I'm just ready for the spring and the summer but getting back to uh spring training I think um there's some preconceived um, ideas that there are are out there right now. And I think we need to pay attention to those as the spring goes along. We won't really know uh, a ton until we get closer and closer to the start of the regular season, which will be near the end of March. Um, But as of right now with uh, about a week, a little less than a week into uh, a couple of games, board spring training, I think there are some things that have to at least be uh, monitored or at least have to make you raise an eyebrow. I think the first one, clear has to be the Dodgers and how they make all the pieces work. Cause they literally are trying to buy themselves a world championship for spending nearly a billion dollars on all the pieces that they have and really how they make them work. I mean, you have Tyler Glass now, Yamamoto Teoscar Hernandez, you know, you name it, all the additions that they made, but of course, everyone's going to be watching Shohei how he does as the Dodgers full time DH, at least for, uh, this season, and I gotta say, I'm I'm pretty optimistic with how he's approaching. I mean, he said he's looking for 50 at bats. You know, I think the spring training is really big, at least for Otani to get used to uh, his new teammates uh, and his new team because he doesn't had as many weapons as he's had now that he did with the Angels. I mean, the fact that he's got Mookie, he's got Freddie Freeman, he's got Max Muncy, he's got so many options at he's dis- at his disposal that. I think he might be looking at it thinking that he doesn't need to take on such a huge role uh, being the designated hitter. He can literally, he doesn't have to pound the ball every single time. He can just go for a couple base hits now and again, just get on base and everyone else will do the rest. But I really am curious to see what Dave Roberts, how he constructs uh, his lineup uh, and what he does with the pitching rotation, um, considering, you know, all the additions that he's made. Especially with Otani being obviously the centerpiece right now. You know, how does the chemistry work with Otani and Betts um and Freeman, all these guys kind of working together? I'm curious to see what the Dodgers will do during this spring training because they have all the pieces. I mean, on paper, they are the best team by a long shot. But the beauty of baseball is that they don't play on paper, they play on a mound, they play on a diamond. Um, So I'll be really interested to see how the Dodgers are able to work uh, their roster around, because they have. I think, again, on paper, top lineup, top rotation out there, Um, it's just a matter of how comfortable can uh, these guys be, because I think everyone is there to uh, every addition that they've made. Uh, is expected to have a big impact, you know, with all those names I just mentioned. So Dodgers, I think, top of the list right now. How do all those new guys uh, get used to uh, the new squad? um, Mixing it in with what oddsmakers are calling the uh, favorites for the World Series. Uh, Shifting gears, though, to the American League, I think the biggest team to watch in the American League has to be the Orioles because they did finish with the best record, And I think the pressure is now on to be able to keep up the success that they had a year ago because everyone is hyping them up. I mean, I remember back when they had their postseason run thinking like they are playing with house money considering how young they are and the inexperience and the rebuild that they were able to go through. And now they have a new ownership that is ready to go out, spend, make some big moves. Rather than just, you know, sitting on their hands uh, and acting like a small market team. They're starting to, they're ready to act like a contending team who's going to make those moves. Um, you know, as you saw a couple of weeks ago with the trade uh, for Corbin Burns. Now, I think there is a negative side at least to watching the Orioles because they're already dealing with the injury bug. We know that um, Gunnar Henderson is dealing with his oblique um, we are hearing reports that Kyle Bradish is already going to start on the IL. He's got a problem with his UCL. And Bradish was a big piece uh, to that starting rotation. But there is good news with all these injuries. As I mentioned, Corbin Burns, you just acquired him. Jackson Holiday is still in their ranks in the minor league system. There's potential that he can get to the major leagues at least by the end of this season. So, I mean, when you have Henderson, um, you have Adley Rutschman at the catcher spot, I mean, Santana, I mean, you name it. They just have a ton of great young pieces. And I think, you know, I don't want to say that they're going to finish with the best record yet again, but I think if I had to pick a favorite early on, it would have to be Baltimore considering last year's success and the fact that they were so young and they had to go through, you know, like I talked about in the NBA, when we're talking about with Minnesota and Oklahoma City, they haven't had that real heartbreak just yet. The Orioles just went through that a year ago. Despite having the best record, they go ahead and they get swept by the Rangers who go on to win it all. So I think Baltimore being able to go through that is really a key component to them having a great year this season because they have that motivation now to go and get farther into the postseason. But they just have so many pieces. I'm curious if they make any changes because I think what they had last year I think should work just fine, you know. Aside from the the small additions that they made, I think Burns being in the rotation is absolutely huge for them. But considering what they have in the field, I mean, they're returning Bautista, who will be uh, healthy. He'll be, I think, he'll be one of the top closers out there. But I mean, you also picked up uh, Craig Kimbrell as well. Um, so I think you look at Rutschman, O'Hearn. Mateo, Hayes, Mullen, Mountcastle. I mean, they've got it all. They've got it all. And again, on paper, they're one of the top teams out there, uh, if you ask me. So that's who I see as really the big team to watch for in the American League. But I will say one other team that I would like you know, to at least take note of is the fact that the Texas Rangers, the defending champions, aren't getting that much love at all. I mean, you have everyone talking about the Dodgers and the Orioles and the Braves who were obviously the favorites and the Astros who have had success. It feels like no one has been talking about Texas yet. They were the big winners of last year. And I think part of it has to do with the fact that they didn't make any significant changes uh, to their, to their roster. I mean, they didn't have a bunch of big free agency signings, and they still could. I mean, they they have their old starter, Jordan Montgomery, who's, Still out there on the market, possibly uh, could re-sign. But as of right now, the only changes that they really made were Kirby Yates giving getting him in a trade, uh, and then signing a, a veteran to their bullpen, David Robertson. Uh, that's really been the only signings that they made. You know, they're not going to have Max Scherzer until you know midseason. Um, but they at least addressed what they needed improvements on, which was their bullpen. I thought their bullpen needed the uh, the biggest work out of all. But again, just like Baltimore, they're returning the same pieces. They've got Adolis Garcia. They'll have Marcus Simeon. They'll have Corey Seager. They'll have it all. Um, And I think the Rangers need to get some more love. I really think that they do because they are the defending champs. I think regardless of who it is, you know, it could be a worst to first or a first to worst uh, kind of team. I think they at least need some kind of attention regardless of, whether they are succeeding or not because they did win it all. I mean, yes, you can have a drop-off, but you at least have to pay attention to them uh, and at least put them in the ranks and give them the kind of buzz that they do deserve for uh, winning it all uh, last year. So those at least for the the first couple of days is what I'm monitoring. I'm sure some more stuff will come out. You know, I know the league is talking about those see-through uniforms, which I... Totally agree with them. They should have absolutely fixed it. But then again, it's a first world problem for them. I mean, that's just, you know, the spring uniforms and that's the PA who are never satisfied. You know, the, the MLB PA is never satisfied with uh, what the MLB has given them. So I'm sure more stories, as I said, will develop throughout the spring. But as of right now, those are the things that I want to monitor, at least through these first uh, couple of days. But we're going to shift from baseball to all the sports in general because there's so much that we can dive into during our quick kids segment so let's get into that coming up next There is so much more to unpack, so let's get into it with our quick hit segment. And I think the big story that we saw, at least from this past weekend, was in the college basketball ranks with, yet again, another basketball star getting into it with some court stormers. So if you don't know or if you've been living under a rock, uh, Wake Forest pulled the upset on Duke at home. Um, and as usual, when you have an upset like that, you got fans who go ahead and storm the court. Now, the issue is that one of these fans collided with Kyle Filipowski from Duke, and it turns out he injured his knee after that collision. It wasn't a major injury that they're saying, but he does say he's a little bit sore. Now, I will say this. When you're looking at the footage and you're looking at it, you know, slowed down, you can see I'm not saying it was intentional. You know, it was just, you know, wrong place, wrong time. I do think it was a little bit of an oversell by Filipowski. But of course, you don't intend for that kind of collision. I mean, we saw the same thing with Caitlin Clark. That looked like a flop. You could see the arms clearly push out there. Now, not saying that it was wrong of them to flop because it does not make things any better. You know, to see athletes get hurt because it's out of their control. To be on the court or on the field when you have this storming of the court like I think that is wrong that's where the issue runs in now I would much rather see modifications than getting rid of the court storming entirely because you know I'm still relatively young I'm still on the young side of sort of looking at this idea of oh this is some kind of you know memory or whatever so I think the way I want to see it is that You have to let the opposing players and the coaches exit first, and then you can start to have some fun and go storm the court or anything like that. It's the second time that an injury happens. You know, I just don't understand. Like I I appreciate the serious consideration that we're getting from this because I think the traditional storming of the court or the field, right? When the buzzer sounds, when it hits zero, I think that has to come to an end. It's, Putting athletes at risk because it's basically, you know, I hate to put like the criminal aspect into this, but it's basically like uh, an invasion or whatever, Um, trying to find the the right uh, legal terms for it. It's um, trespassing. That's what I was thinking. It's basically trespassing because you have the players and the coaches on the court doing what they're supposed to do, and you have the fans at the end come onto the court when they're not supposed to. So they either need to beef up the security for that or allow the modifications of storming the court or storming the field. And the way I would see that modification is to let the opponents, players, and coaches exit before everyone starts rushing. So it's gotta be one of those two because I think what's happening right now with your traditional court storming has to come to an end. I mean, we're lucky... That Caitlin Clark and Kyle Filipowski did not injure themselves seriously, but that's the road that we're getting down. We're going to get to a point where the fans storm and someone gets seriously hurt. It could be a torn ACL or a dislocated shoulder from one of these collisions. It has to come to an end. It has to be at least modified. You know, I wouldn't be insanely upset if court storming was entirely, you know, banned, and it was gotten rid of, I wouldn't be upset, but I would prefer to see those modifications take place rather than just do away with it. So that's the two cents that I have regarding this incident. The traditional ways has to stop. It has to, without a doubt. So that's the big story that we're getting out of college basketball, and hopefully more stories about the on-court stuff rather than fan storming and contacting players that should come to an end so I hope that the next time we talk about college basketball here on this podcast it's because of the events that happen on the court during the game rather than the interactions of fans storming um but moving on we're going to go to the NFL because the franchise tag window opened up which to me is really the first domino in terms of the NFL offseason um It's only been open for a few days. It's going to be open until March 5th, if my memory is correct. That's when the tag deadline will come to an end. And so far, we've only seen one player get tagged in these first couple of days, and that was T. Higgins, Bengals, throwing the franchise tag on him. And honestly, I think it's a smart move. By Cincy, they could not afford to lose him because then the price tag is going to get very very expensive you already have burrow signed to a big contract you're gonna sign jamar chase to a big contract and you know t higgins was looking for uh n- top receiver money no doubt about it i don't think he's looking for second fiddle money to jamar chase i think higgins is the guy who wants to be sort of on that equal level so i think since to. a to get some kind of big Super Bowl run in there, they had to keep him on, and I'm sure Higgins is totally okay with being on a uh, team like Cincy as well if he's going to be competing for a championship. The big story to me, I think, in these first couple of days has been the running backs. Um, you know, if you remember last uh, off season, the story was that yeah you know, they wanted to get paid rather than just being franchise tag. And sure enough, they came to a compromise. Jacobs, uh, Josh Jacobs, Saquon Barkley, they all played under the franchise tag and they just allowed to it. Well, guess what? Now those same players are most likely not going to get those tags. That means you could be looking at a running back free agent market of Saquon, Josh Jacobs, Tony Pollard, Derrick Henry, Austin Eckler. I mean, if there are teams looking in the running back department, it is deep, absolutely deep. I mean, If you ask me, I think out of those guys, the top one would probably be Saquon Barkley. You know, just put him on a team where he doesn't have to have as much use as he did with the Giants. I think he would be a great upgrade for any team that's looking for a running back. I think Derrick Henry's sort of on the wrong side uh, when you're talking about age. He's slowing down a little bit. He's still a dominant force, but he is slowing down a little bit. You got Tony Pollard as well. I think he'll probably stay with the Cowboys I don't think they would want to get rid of him. It's Eckler and Jacobs that I really think are going to be the, the question marks out there. You know, they could easily resign, but they could also leave as well. So that's the the beauty of the franchise tag window is they could, they could walk because I don't think any of those guys want to be playing under the tag once again. Um, but saying in the NFL, we're going to go to the combine. The combine starting this week. Um, and the big, at least what I've been taking away is that you have uh, prospects playing it safe, more so uh, the quarterbacks, you know, the top three projected quarterbacks. You got Caleb Williams, he's not going to participate. And then you got Drake May and Jane Daniels who said they're not going to throw. Now, it makes sense because they don't want to hurt their stock or they don't want to get injured uh, with these kinds of throws. I got to say, though, I don't like the trend that we're going under. The fact that these uh, prospects are deciding not to showcase themselves because i mean it it, logically it makes sense it makes sense for a guy like caleb williams who doesn't want to throw or do anything like that because he's already still projected as the number one you're thinking like if williams does participate he could show some things that maybe might hurt his draft stock you know whether it comes to throwing or simple stuff like that i would think a guy like Jaden daniels would want to uh participate a little bit more than usual because they were talking about him. I mean, the way he started during the season, he was like a second rounder Then he moved up into the first round. Then he moved up to the top 10 and sure enough, boom, he's within the top five, depending on, you know, what the commanders and the Patriots do. Um, I thought he would have done that same thing with Drake may. I thought he would have done a little bit more to maybe showcase that he deserves to be the number one pick over Caleb Williams. So I don't really like how it's becoming a trend. The fact that people are just deciding not to, participate and the idea you know was just making executives for the nfl work a little bit harder uh in terms of their evaluation so i mean who knows it could be it could be worth it it could be worth it not to participate you know you still uh keep your top uh prospects out there as well you keep your stock up there um so i mean we'll see if it pays off for uh, these three guys um it's only a matter of time till we uh, get some answers on that um, going back to baseball really quickly for this uh, next one. Uh, we talked two weeks ago about the Scott Boris five, those guys who um, were not signed quite yet. as spring training was getting underway. Well, now we've got one of those five off the board. Cody Bellinger, uh, he's back with the Cubs three years, 80 million. There's a, a option uh, after the first year and after the second year. I will say it was good on the Cubs to retain him. He was a key figure in that, uh, that run they had in the, for the, to get to the postseason. They weren't able to get it, but he was very instrumental. He had an MVP level season. He was just really hampered by a bunch of injuries, but really this signing, at least to me would hopefully signal the fact that Jordan Montgomery, Blake Snell, all these other guys are going to get re-signed because basically Scott Boris is almost like basically holding the league uh, and other teams. Like uh, they're hanging, he's hanging him out to dry because he just wants his guys to get the almighty dollar, you know. Because the the way you're looking at it, you know, I talked with a uh, Rich Keith and uh, Fitzy about this last night on uh, the Rich Keith Show on WBEI. Is when you have the guys hanging for so long, like it takes a long time for the for these baseball players to uh, to get their bodies into shape for a hundred and sixty two game season over the span of six months. So, I mean. Maybe the players, unless they're really dug their heels in, these guys should hopefully be signing soon so they can at least get ready for uh, the season. Um, But the last story that I wanted to mention during this segment was kind of a cool one in the NHL. You had Patrick Kane uh, playing the Blackhawks for the first time, and he scores the overtime winner for Detroit in the very first game uh, against his former team. I thought that was just really, really cool. I mean, Patrick Kane is pretty much a hero in Chicago he's never gonna buy a beer ever again uh, because he brought uh he was part of a Blackhawks team that won three Stanley Cups in that short amount of time um and then it was almost like he couldn't have drawn it up any better for a guy returning for the first time you know for a Detroit team that's uh, pushing for the playoffs while the Blackhawks are still in that rebuilding mode. I thought that was kind of cool to see Kane, you know kind of stick it to his old team but sort of in a friendly kind of way so uh, good on Patrick Kane to uh, make the most out of his first game uh, against the Blackhawks which was the team that basically molded his career uh, out of that one so there you have it with the quick hits there was so much to get to and we will have so much more as the weeks and months go along but for all you Boston fans who have been waiting for this segment we're going to get to it up next it is our look around Boston with our let's get local segment our city now it is time to look around the city of boston and all the sports within it it's our let's get local segment and i think the biggest story i mean we can talk about the celtics which we will we'll talk about the bruins as well but i think everyone around the region is talking about the dynasty regarding the patriots. I mean, we'll we'll get into all the draft and Elliot Wolf and all that stuff Gerard Mayo has to do. We've got plenty of time to do that and I've got a whole line of guests that we can get on for that. But I want to spend this time talking about The Dynasty on Apple TV. So far, four episodes are out of this 10 episode series. I will say this right now. This docu series is a must watch. Every Pats fan needs to watch this doc because whether you're like me and you're young and you don't really have that good of a memory um, and you were too young to relive uh, the first part of the Patriots dynasty or if you're an old head who remembers the times where things were not that great and then Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft and Tom Brady come around and they turn it around and turn this into maybe the best dynasty in NFL history, this is a must-watch. It is an incredible series, and I don't want to spoil things too much, but I have a laundry list of notes from these first couple of episodes. I mean, the first one that I thought of goes back to, like, episode one. I never knew how much of a star Drew Bledsoe was before Tom Brady came along. I mean, when you look at this docuseries, I mean, he's in McDonald's commercials, He signs a big contract. He leads the Patriots to uh, their second Super Bowl against Green Bay. Yes, they uh, got it blown up. But I never realized, basically, at that time, Drew Bledsoe was one of the faces of Boston sports. You could probably put him up there uh, in the mid-'90s with sort of a Roger Clemens, Pedro Martinez kind of thing. Um, You know, the Celtics were still kind of in their transition, so it wasn't quite Paul Pierce just yet in the Bruins you know, same thing. But he was basically like up there in terms of the Mount Rushmore of the mid-90s when it comes to Boston athletes. So, I mean, the fact that Drew Bledsoe, I mean, the when you listen to him, it, he makes it sound like he's the villain because it was like, oh, I want to get my job back. You know, I was extremely salty. You had Robert Kraft going up to Belichick being like, are you sure you're making the right decision starting this kid, Tom Brady? Now, I don't want to... Get it misconstrued. Drew Bredsoe is not going to be the villain in this docuseries. I think you really feel bad for it. Because when you are labeled as the star and you're the savior of the franchise, when all of a sudden this new guy comes along and you're not going to get your old job back, of course you're going to feel a little bit upset. But he took his lumps like a man. And as you'll see later on, he humbled himself. Um, He came in, helped the team. He didn't win the game against the Steelers in the AFC Championship, but he helped management manage it after Tom Brady went out. Um, and then he is the, a good teammate and lets Tom Brady start in the first Super Bowl uh, against the St. Louis Rams and gets himself a ring because of it. So, I mean, that's the first takeaway I had was the fact that the level that Drew Bledsoe was on was something I never even imagined. I knew he was, you know, this great quarterback that the Patriots had before Tom Brady, but I never knew much of the star impact that he had um, another thing that I took away was the fact that it took a while uh, for Tom Brady to to garner respect not really in the big picture of things because I mean the clips show you know uh, Bob LaBelle saying like you know there is a little bit of a question but then you have Bob Ryan being like no 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 Drew's gonna be the guy Drew's gonna be the guy I'm talking about within the locker room I mean when you had Tom Brady Uh, In his first start against the Colts, you know, even before then, you had teammates like Ty Law, like Willie McGinnis, like Teddy Bruschi, being like, "Yeah, he's just the placeholder. You're just the guy in for Drew." So you had his own teammates not even believing in him. And then even as the season went along, when they initially, when they went to Brady over Bledsoe when Bledsoe was cleared. Even still, you had teammates being like, okay, he's still going to be the guy. It was basically the defensive guys were basically saying, we are going to carry this team, which they didn't do. But in terms of the respect factor, it took a long time for Brady to get it. Um, I mean, it really took that second Super Bowl for everyone to be like, okay, he's the guy. He's the guy. I mean, really, for at least teammates after that first one, they kind of knew you know when you had guys like Ty Law Teddy Bruschi they knew after the first one but i think in the general sense of it it took that second super bowl win to be like okay this brady guy this brady guy is legit he's definitely legit um some other things i kind of looked at i mean it i hated reliving the spygate you know you saw that in episode 4 um and the undefeated loss to the giants um i i hated reliving that cuz that was like one of the first Core memories as a Patriots fan. I remember being over a family friends at the time and it was the undefeated season. And that was the first time as a fan that I, I cried over a loss. You know, you have those, I, I would always be disappointed or angry. You know, I am disappointed, angry. And I was a fan, but back then as a kid, I was in tears. Cause I had my Moss Jersey. I was ready for the 19 and 0. Um, And then to even watch like the final Hail Mary attempt from Randy Moss, the fact that it hit his fingertips, I know part of it was a little bit knocked away, but the fact that they were that close is just, gosh, it just, it puts a knot in my stomach now reliving it because I absolutely hate it. I think it's going to go down as the worst loss that I've witnessed uh, as a Boston sports fan, without a doubt. Um, which by the way, Randy Moss is incredible in this docuseries. I absolutely love listening to Randy in the story that he has. Um, but really, the big takeaways that I have in this docu series is sort of what I what I saw and what they talked about during that first part of the dynasty run. And I'm talking, you know, from those mid 90s when Bill Belichick was first hired up until what they've showed, which is the undefeated Super Bowl loss. I'm kind of tying it in to what we are seeing with the modern-day Patriots. You know, the fact that this team has had to go through a rebuild over these last four years or so. I mean, we finally have answers as to why Bill Belichick is short and stingy with the media is because Eric Mangini ratted him and the Patriots out for the Spygate uh, during week one of 2007. And that was basically the ultimate betrayal. Like, you could put Mangini and Belichick on Big Brother or Survivor when it comes to or any of these reality shows when it comes to um, the fact that Belichick just couldn't trust him. And not only that, he basically said that if Mangini was telling the the media and, like, ratting out who ultimately was Belichick's right-hand man, if he was ratting him out and he was calling the team out and if that's what he was doing to win, like, can Bill really trust anybody? when he talks to the media. That's why I believe is why he's sort of, you know, up and at it and basically throwing the finger at all the media because he can't trust them. He can't trust anything he says. Like if he was wide open, he knew that, you know, at least in the Boston media side of things, they would run with some things. So I think part of that is the big thing that I see is that because of that Belichick is still incredibly short, with the media. And when he's not giving any answers and you're kind of just sitting there like, can we get something? Can we get something? This is part of the reason why. I mean, you could even go back to like when the decision was made to give Tom Brady to start over uh Drew Bledsoe, uh when Bledsoe was cleared, Belichick even said like Brady will get the most reps, will get more reps over Belichick. Like that's still an answer. Like you're not getting an open Belichick now. Like, that's the answer we were looking for when it came down to the decision between Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi. That's what we were looking for. But Belichick, because of Eric Mangini, which I ultimately said on the Weei producer show with uh, Chris Scheim and Ryan Garvin, Mangini is the reason why Belichick is very stingy and short with the media, all because of Eric Mangini. Thanks a lot, you dumb coach. Couldn't make it in the the big league, and now you got to... Colin Cowherd's sidekick my goodness um I think the other thing that I noticed at least when it when you compare this to where the Patriots are now I mean the issues at least between Bill Belichick and Robert Kraft were shown very very early I mean you could tell with Robert Kraft what he was saying like he has resentment and bitterness all the way back in the 2000s I mean he was telling Belichick like he was basically saying I will hold bill accountable if starting tom brady over drew bledsoe doesn't work um i mean uh in episode three when he was talking about bill parcells he said parcells will put himself over the team all after parcells said Kraft was meddling he was hiring guys who didn't uh believe in the draft or didn't know as much as i did um i mean the big story is or the big quote i took was calling belichick a smuck uh a schmuck when um (laughs) I don't want to mispronounce that at all. Calling him a schmuck when he was talking about the non-regret that Belichick has when it comes down to Spygate. So really, like, I'm not saying that Kraft has his hands on this entire docu-series and how it's going to turn out, uh, because it's not turning out well for Belichick and it's trying to put Robert Kraft into it, to a good light. I mean, Jeff Benedict... Um, Who's the author of the book and Matthew who who's the director of the series, have ultimately stated that Kraft didn't have any say in the final cut. But it definitely feels like, and it looks like Kraft wanted to mold it in a certain way where he wants to be uh, coming out as the good guy rather than than not. So, I mean, these narratives could change, though, because I mean, we, there's still six episodes left to go. I mean, we got to get into the Deflate Gate scandal. We got to get into the Malcolm Butler benching. We got to go over Tom Brady's departure. I mean, we got to go through so much more of that. So I'm definitely like the minute it comes out. If I'm not, you know, at WEEI, if I have no plans whatsoever, I'm sitting on the couch. I'm turning on Apple TV, and I am watching this docu series because it is that compelling, that compelling. But let's shift gears now and let's get more on a a positive side of things. Let's look at the Celtics because they just keep on rolling. They are rolling post all-star break, easy wins over the Bulls and the Knicks. They've got eight straight. They'll take on uh, the Sixers tonight. And I think honestly, nothing more needs to be said about the team until the playoff spark, because this success needs to be carried throughout uh, the playoffs. They need to use this on a playoff run. They cannot get into their own head. You know, they have to solve those third quarter problems, which we saw against the Knicks. They have to solve their crunch time, which they did uh, against the Heat before the uh, All Star break. Um, so I will be paying close attention, at least to the team, in these next couple stretch of games. Uh, they'll be hosting the Sixers, the Mavericks, and the Warriors. Then they'll go to Cleveland, they'll go to Denver, and go to Phoenix. Those games I really want to pay close attention to. It's not going to ultimately you know, conclude and say, oh, if they win this game, they're going to win it all. Or if they lose it, um, they're not going to win. Uh, I'm not going to make it that. But I'm just going to pay close attention to how they play against these playoff and championship caliber teams. But what's funny is, more so than the team, Jason Tatum has been getting more of the conversation because everyone's trying to make the case for him being an MVP. And honestly, I would put him at the top of the MVP. Maybe not the very top, but I just wouldn't put him because, you know, this is a, an award that is very stats-driven. They don't necessarily, at the voters, I mean, they're not necessarily looking at, you know, the team's success. They're kind of looking at, okay, who is the best player? You know, and it, most of the time, it is the best player on the best team. Now, there have been instances, you know, Russell Westbrook, when he was putting up those historic triple doubles, the Thunder were sitting in six. Um, It would always be like LeBron James, you know, regardless of where they finish in the standings. But I mean, when you I just the thing is, I would love to see Jason Tana win an MVP, but it just seems like the media and voters are ultimately like they're putting so many handicaps in front of them that I don't think should be there when it comes to, you know, having success in the playoffs. He's had success in the playoffs. Does he have some help? Sure. He has some help. He has more help this year than in uh previous years, but I just, I hate that so much is getting in his way. And I, I think it shouldn't get into his way. Like if you're asking me, I think the ranks right now would go Nikola Jokic, probably uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander, and Jason Tatum. Like those three are who I think it goes down to, and that's sort of the order i put it in now. You know, maybe it won't be. I don't think it's going to stay in that order because there's still plenty of season left to go. But in terms of the all-around play that Jason Tatum has done, that's what the team needs. Um, and if he is the best player on the best team, sure, he should get that strong consideration. The thing is, though, I think he's got to... The way the league is now, he's got to put up, like, 30 points a game, and he knows it himself. Like, I think he's matured, and you've heard him say, like, MVP would be nice, um, but that's not the main thing that he's looking for. Um, You know, he's sort of matured in that way. Like, if he gets the MVP, it would be cool, but the title is the way it goes, and I think... I forget who said I think Rich Keith might have said this like once he wins the title that's when he'll get sort of that respect and he'll get that serious consideration um like I uh, as Boston fans like we see it already but in terms of the national standpoint you know he's got so much working against him you know all the the high caliber teammates that he has um the past playoff failures that he's had that's the biggest issue I think that's getting in the way Of Jason Tatum. But I do think before his career is up, he will win an MVP. There will be one year that he has a tremendous year that you cannot argue with it. You know, over Embiid, over Giannis, over Jokic, over Luka, all these guys. There will be a time. I don't know if it's this year, but he will get an MVP before his career is over, without a doubt. Um, Shifting gears, though, I want to go to the Bruins, the other team uh, that is playing. And my goodness, they are struggling. They are struggling, but they are salvaging points. That's the thing. Seven of their last eight games have gone past regulation, at least into overtime. But here's the issue. Um, it, I should also mention that includes six straight games, which, by the way, I, I looked at Elias, and the record is seven. Seven straight games, and Tampa did that in uh, 18. Seven straight games, at least, going to OT. The problem with these eight games is that they're 2-6, in this time, like they're salvaging points, but they're two and six. And I think the big story, obviously, is the fact that they cannot close these games out. I mean, they were up two to one last night over Seattle and they let them into it. I mean, yeah, they were eventually losing them three to two and they came back and tied it. Um, but you know, the fact is that they do have these leads and they're blowing them. I mean, you can go back to the fact that they were up two with less than eight minutes. Uh, left in Vancouver Um, they had the 4-3 lead over the Kings a couple of weeks ago I mean this is not good it is not a good stretch that the Bruins are on right now so I think they really just have to find the basics they really do and the fact that I'm seeing David Posnock just basically find a target and shoot rather than just make a bunch of moves in a shootout that's concerning to me that's really concerning to me and yes, everyone went into the year maybe not with Stanley Cup expectations um, because they were so hard up against the cap Um, and they basically went all in on last year or whatever. But they're at least... I mean, the, the good news is that they're salvaging these points. They're salvaging the points, but the big issue I have are these leads. Like, they have to win a game from start to finish. And I think... They need to start the first period, at least with a lead, because their first period and their third period is really where they're falling behind. That's the biggest issue I see. If they can fix those, then they can sort of get back to their winning ways. But hopefully this is just a stretch and the Bruins can find uh, those winning ways once again. Uh, Finally, though, let's talk Red Sox because their spring training gets underway. And I'll just make it really short. Um at least for the expectations, you know, a lot of ifs need to go right. You know, a Tristan Casas jump needs to happen. A healthy Trevor story needs to happen. Better defense from Raphael Devers. Young guys need to step up. There are a lot of ifs. A lot of ifs need to go right. I still don't think they have the pitching depth uh, regarding their starting rotation because you're asking Brian Bale, a young guy to be your opening day starter. Uh, Nick Pavetta, who's been sort of an inconsistent uh, starter. He's had really good moments, but he's also struggled. Lucas Giolito, who you're hoping avoids the injury bug. Now, they have had meetings with Jordan Montgomery. And I will say that if they sign him, it will be a good addition. But again, this is sort of similar to like giving a contract to Trevor Story or giving the extension to Rafi Devers. You know, it's kind of um, front office and ownership looking at the fans being like, ah, look, look, we're spending money. We're spending money but it just feels sort of like forced and desperate at this point. You know, you're kind of being forced to sign Montgomery because um, your fans are criticizing you for not spending and you know exactly what you need. So that's just short and sweet. I'm sure we'll talk more about the Red Sox when we get closer to the year, but a lot of ifs need to happen when it comes down to this. But I mean, three and one in spring training is pretty good start. I will say, if you ask me Um, so, kind of a wait and see uh on there so that is what is going on in the world of boston sports there is a lot that has to be unpacked but we will end our show as we usually do getting a good gut laugh in there with our lol moment of the week stick around for that segment up next it's time to end the show as we always do by looking on the lighter side of things and looking at our LOL moment of the week. we are going to go to Darko Ra- Rajakovic. want to say that right. Darko Rajakovic, the head coach of the Toronto Raptors for this one. So backstory, the Raptors have won three straight games, including a very uh, impressive win over the Pacers uh, last night. Uh, but the coach Rajavi- Rajakovic, my gosh, I'm going to have a hard time with this one. Um, has given his team a reward. You know, normally you give a a, a team for, for playing well, you give them some kind of uh reward. But this is a very interesting one. Um, he said he would buy the team dinner, as you know, most most coaches would do, which I think is good. But he said that his team is so humble that we'll just get him pizza. So basically the way people are taking it is that Darko Rajakovich is going to give his team the Toronto Raptors a pizza party. I mean, what are we? Are are we in grade school? Is this the end of the year in a rec league throwing a pizza party for professional athletes? I mean, you got to that's kind of embarrassing if you ask me. That is kind of embarrassing to give um this team like, if that was me, I would be insisting on taking him out to dinner and letting him order steak or something more high-priced than just a pizza party. <laughs> like, what What are the—these guys aren't children. They're, they're not little kids, you know, throwing a birthday party or whatever. And not only that, I think if you're 22 and 36, three straight wins does not warrant any reward. I don't think if you're that bad, you shouldn't have any kind of reward— winning three straight games maybe if you win six straight or seven straight maybe that's something that's something but come on three straight games what are you doing here my goodness I mean I've had some good pizza parties um in the past especially after uh you know end of the years when it was rec league or whatever being like you know what that was a great season let's celebrate by winning some pizza like this is still technically a playoff push like I know, there are a couple of games out of at least the play-in spot, and twenty-two and thirty-six doesn't sound that good. But you're still fighting for the playoffs. You're still NBA team. You're still an NBA team where anything can happen. You could have uh, the Bulls or whatever, and the Nets, you know, totally on a downslide, and you could sneak your way into that playoff picture. Like, come on, like a pizza party. You got to be kidding me. So Darko Rajakovic finally got that name right for. Deciding to throw the Raptors a pizza party for three straight wins. Three straight wins. And giving your team a pizza party, you have earned yourself this week's LOL moment of the week. And with that, it's a wrap for episode 105 of Let Me Speak. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. If you're watching us on YouTube, or listening to us wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow me on all social media platforms. On X, I am Joe Braverman, PBP. Of course, you can just search my name on Facebook and Instagram. Speaking of, you can follow the podcast on those platforms. You just got to search Let Me Speak podcast. Thank you, everyone, again, for tuning in. And we will see you next time for number 106, the episode of Let Me Speak. Later.